This is the Raider Cotton Nation podcast with your host, Alpha Mike, and our roster of co-hosts, we patrol America's law enforcement beat. We invite you today on a ride-along. Now, here's your weekly briefing on Raider Cop Nation. As always, broadcasting high atop of Florida's peninsula at 108 feet, this is Alpha Mike of Raider Cop Nation. Today's show, The Club, episode 110, 110th episode of Raider Cop Nation. And we're very proud of those numbers. Our episodes are always getting more and more downloads. So there's an audience, it's being built, and we're extremely happy about it. We are going to dive into the subject of the club. Law enforcement agencies that have specific clubs. It could either be professional in nature or social or ethnic in nature. Both uh, those two clubs have distinctions. A professional club may be Uh, to help a specific officer in a specialty that they're in. Let's say the Background Investigators Association or the Police Firearms Instructors Association. So those are the areas of specialties that these officers might have. So they've partnered with an organization that deals with that specialty. And uh, they get to meet individuals in other jurisdictions that do the same thing they do. They learn tricks of the trade. Uh, They do case studies about certain situations that have occurred in their respective jurisdictions. And they share those with the rest of their membership throughout the United States. Then there's a social group or ethnic group that they feel the need to identify as their ethnicity in that agency. Usually that may be because uh, their specific race might be underutilized in the agency or underrepresented in the community. So these individuals feel a need to partner uh, as a group within that agency. Today, the cop is going to take us through the journey of the club that is mostly social in nature, how the agencies can benefit from that and help them uh, become a better agency. So, of course, if you want to continuously get in contact with us, it's not too difficult. All you have to do is dial RaiderCopNation.com and there uh, you will see our social icons, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, Instagram and so forth. And you can connect with us, contact us. Maybe there's a a subject you want to talk about or hear us talk about. So you can connect with us there. Uh, As the connection is there 
sometimes people uh, do ask questions that pretty much have been already answered in the podcast. They just didn't pick up on it. So, but we encourage you to be a part of Ready Cop Nation. That means an active listener. So if you have questions, concerns, or comments, we'd like to hear it. Uh, we are continuing to do our series on uh, Test Everything 1521. We were going to do a launch date of October 9th. We pushed that back to October 16th. And uh, you're not going to uh, be sorry that you don't Remember, it's less than 15 minutes, the powerful word of God for your life. If you're a wall from church and you need some spiritual guidance to pick you up, we all do at some point of our, of our lives and our career, 15 minutes or less, there's a subject for you on Test Everything 1521. You can reach us, uh, you can hear the shows and reach us on RadioCompNation.com. There's an icon on the top of the page that says Test Everything. Click on that and you can hear our uh, broadcast. Remember, our shows only last 90 days on the website. After the 90th day, it disappears. But we know that the Word of God always continues. It flourishes. The seed is planted and it will flourish. Now, without any further ado, let's take you to the Word of the Week. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And as always, the Word of God lifts you up and it builds you. And this is why we tell you. Here, God is telling us to reflect on certain things. And there's a big picture. As you reflect on every one of those things, it gives you a better picture of where you stand and who you are. So, we gave you the rundown last uh the schedule last time you were with us in 109, episode 109, and we stayed to the schedule. And after this, what comes up next is yours truly, uh, Alpha Mike on situational awareness, and we'll discuss that. And uh, then after that, we go to... Trick or Die, episode 111 with the cop. And uh, it's, a, it's a good episode. It's going to tell us about a little Halloween safety for those that like to celebrate that type of thing for children and adults and uh, some statistical uh, issues uh, during the October season and, and how to just be on your P's and Q's. So that's an interesting show, and I encourage you to listen. November 6th, we go into November 6th. And uh, I'll leave it at that one. I'm not going to go through the whole list. November 6th, uh, episode 112, Shady Slim Sharpton and uh, the new racket. 
and the cop will be with us as well. Remember, part of our episodes, we have several platforms, is the Sidebar um, series, which talks about the crazy, wacky left and how they're trying to do away with police. It's as simple as this, folks. The left and a lot of a lot of Democrats don't like to hear this. It really bothers them, but they'll get over it. Their party has been infiltrated and overthrown by socialist activists that soon will turn communist. I know a lot of people say, well, that's a conspiracy theory and it doesn't exist. But you hear these people. Look, I'm going to say this, you know, on this episode. I don't want to rob time from what we're going to do today. But you look at the Democratic candidates. None of them are really energetic that are building up their audience, their peer group, and are really rationally expressing themselves with positive thoughts and energizing the country. I'll give you another example. If you want to beat the current president, that Democratic candidate has to have the ability to put 20,000-plus in every arena, in every part of the country, and speak for two hours and keep them energized. If you could do that, you could probably give this current president a run. But if you can't put 500 people in an auditorium and keep them enthusiastic for 30 minutes, keep moving. It's not for you. And a lot of people don't like to hear that. Oh, MAGA, MAGA, oh, my God, he's, he's a Trumpster. No, I'm a realist, folks. And the... the the, the, the country, the majority of the country, that's right. The majority of the country is energized. It's a small majority that wants to seem, and the media wants them, wants you to believe that they are a growing majority, that they are more than half of the population of the United States. Bullcrap. It's 300 million people in America. There's not 150 million goofs. I can assure you that. It's a small population. The media builds it up like if it's half the country or more. And they got their thumbs enlarged you know where. The bottom line is, if you want to beat something, you've got to be better at that something. You can't make up cases. You can't uh, just come up with things that aren't true and try to pull the wool off of around people's eyes and win by default. There's not, it does, it's not a freaking playground. And uh, uh, with this uh, latest thing they're trying to do, the impeachment, which is concocted, made up, and little of no evidence, uh, it's going to blow up in their faces like the Russian hoax did. And the bottom line is more people will come on the other side. So keep running your pie hole over there on the Democratic side while Bernie, the socialist, is enjoying capitalist health insurance that saved his life. They're dropping like flies over there at the Democratic Party. And uh, Sleepy Joe doesn't have enough energy to keep that party alive. 
So which one of these goofs is going to put 20,000-plus in every auditorium, energetic, full of life, and your speech has to be about two hours long? Get it done all over the country. When we see that, then the American public will fear and say, it's got to be half the country. But in the meantime, it's a bunch of rebel rousers, and they're not a whole lot of them. So I wouldn't pay much mind. All right. I've jabbered enough, and I've bored you enough. Today's episode, episode 110, the cop will be with us, and we will discuss the club. And we're going to talk about clubs and law enforcement agencies that are specific to ethnicity or gender, why do they exist, and how can these clubs become a better uh, help the agency become a better agency. So, I bored you enough. Let's get the clowns ready. It's time for episode The Cop at 110, The Club. demand after several weeks of hiatus and being promoted to the rank of lieutenant, we are blessed to have the cop back on the studio set. Welcome back. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. It is always a pleasure to have you. We want to go ahead and congratulate you on your promotion. And uh, oh, we, thank know, you. we know that the agency and the people that you serve and the citizens that you serve are going to be truly blessed with your wisdom. I appreciate that. Thank you. I've been truly blessed. Yes, we have. And today's uh, episode, we're going to talk about the club. Uh, and what we're basically talking about is those associations. They are fraternal groups. And they are, of course, professional clubs as well, like uh, the National Fingerprint Association. I don't even know if that exists. I just made it up. And also these... Uh, fraternal or social organizations that primarily started to exist in the 60s, maybe 70s, and early on. A lot of them have to do with ethnicity. Some of them have built a, a bridge between their groups, the community, and the law enforcement agencies that they represent. 
So what we're going to look at today is whether that is prevalent in today's society or not and how that mixes into the current law enforcement setting. So if you're ready, uh, the first question is, how can professional associations help an agency? And that's uh, a broad spectrum of all of them. Well, I mean, there's, like you mentioned, there's several organizations. There's the Narcotic Investigators, the Tactical Officers Association, the Police Chiefs Association. Um, there is one for the Bomb Squad, Firearms Instructors, you name it, they're out there. I, I personally belong to one, um, and I believe these organizations help the officer or, or the detective um, create a network within their um, specialty units or their their profession, and it also allows them to gain um, specialized training, which is a, is a cost of savings to the agency. So by joining these certain organizations in these specialized areas, it not only serves better the officer, but I think it also serves better the, the agency by saving them on the cost of that specialized training that they offer. Yeah, it, it, it does enhance their their specialty or their specific duty. Uh, now, the, the, the big question or the elephant in the room is these organizations that are social in nature and they could be on specific ethnicities such as African-American or they could be Hispanic, Asian, Irish, Italian, even representing women, religion, Jewish, and, and so forth. How does that play in today's law enforcement agency? And also, we recognize that these groups, although they do exist, they don't uh, equal out or they don't cancel the union. Of course, the union for some agencies is the binding contract. These groups are just a supplement. And uh, how, how are they going to work with the local uh, law enforcement agencies? Well, I, I, I know that these organizations were created at one time to, to promote fairness across all the members in, in the police profession. And it, it was created basically to help the police agencies understand certain cultures. I know there's uh, the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Officers, there's the National Latino Officers Association, and um, there's, there's more out there, I'm sure, for other ethnic groups. There's the Professional Women um, Association of Police Work. Um, it, it, that's really kind of a personal thing. I think it, it's up to the personal officer. If you feel that your agency is still struggling with understanding certain groups, I think these groups do help. I know when when you and I started back, you know, 30-something years ago, um, Latinos were still struggling to get recognized in the profession. We were, we were um, having a hard time getting promoted. Um, so there were certain groups that were organized that helped us bridge that gap between the community and law enforcement. And, and law enforcement agencies are, they should embrace these groups so that they could help the agency better reach out to those communities. But again, it, it depends on on the community um, that you are currently serving under 
is there a need to to have that group come in and help the officers better assist the agency in understanding a certain cultural group um so that's a very personal thing um on the so i, don't, I really don't want to say it's a good thing or a bad thing because i know at one time there was a need for it and the area that i'm in has gotten a lot better um for minorities so it just depends on what part of the country you're in and and if there's a need for that right uh, there is a struggle for a lot of recognition from a lot of groups and a lot of agencies it could be any type of race where their population is growing but they're not really that much represented within law enforcement in that community. So those few pioneers that do get in there, they kind of start paving the way for that growing community now to work within that structure. Now, Correct. usually my, my uh, experience with this is that people just don't, understand why these groups exist primarily when these individuals are not of that race. So, for example, if there's a Latino organization formulating, well, other people in the agency that are not Latino might go, what do they need a group for? And so that sometimes uh, muddies up the waters, to, to quote the governor of, of, of uh, Florida once, that even that comment got mixed up. And how can these groups, how do the agencies, how should an agency go ahead and start networking with these groups if they start growing within their own organizations? I would, I would utilize these groups to help the agency reach out to the communities, to those, um, let's say to the Latino community. Um, again, I, I, for one, believe that we all bleed blue, we're all brothers in blue, but unfortunately, there are some parts of this country that still don't accept minorities. And that's just, the, that's, that's we all we all hate to say it, but that's just a fact of the matter. Um, and these groups do help educate the agency and at the same time, and it helps cap the agencies um, with that community because now you can send that group out to represent the police profession into the community like for example we we have a, a high migrant um, community here in the area in which i serve and many many years ago um, i was part of an organization that we were going into the hispanic community and we were going to these migrant churches and educate them on how law enforcement in this country is and compared to their country. So I would say the, the best thing for the agency would be is to embrace these groups to better assist them and communicating with certain communities within um, the city or county that they're serving. Got it. Now, to give a, just a little piggy bank on that, um, recently there was a deputy sheriff in Harris County, which is Houston, Texas, that was killed. Uh, I believe uh, his name is uh, Daliwa. And yes, he yes. was of Indian descent. And, of course, they wore the turban and stuff. And it must have been a, 
a, a very brave move to him for him to apply and become a pioneer for that community that was growing in Houston. He was hired yeah. by uh, Adrian Garcia at the time, which was the sheriff of Harris County, a personal friend of mine. And uh, recently at the funeral, Adrian uh, mentioned him as a trailblazer for that Indian community. And this is just an example. I think his death touched a lot of people in a way of, you know, uh, where I'm glad that he represented that segment. I don't think there was a lot of disgust or hatred or who is this guy. I think, uh, on, on the contrary, a lot of law enforcement officers were heart, their heart was broken because he had died. And the work that he did in, in Houston really paid dividends to the Harris County Sheriff's Office. And that's just an example of what we're talking about today. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it was um, eye-awakening for me when I saw it in the news and I've seen it on, on social media outlets. Because um, here in Florida, I don't know of anybody from that community that is currently serving. And... Um, it was it was very eye awakening of how big how many people are in law enforcement because at at his funeral there was a big group of his um, of his community there that law enforcement from all over the country that came to his funeral so it, it, it educated me that we had that um, group of people who are now in law enforcement as well yeah and 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 being understanding that. Although that group doesn't maybe doesn't represent the communities that we serve, but they do represent a community, and um, so you know he is a trailblazer. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to go in there with your beliefs, and 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 even the agency chief that has to accept it. It takes a lot of courage too, and and I'm I think Houston's a better place because they have done that, and. Um, so our heart goes out to the the Harris County Sheriff's Office for that for that loss. Now here's another sixty four thousand dollar question: Is I am of an ethnic group? Let's say it doesn't matter which one in my agency, and there's a group that's there. The question for a lot of people is: Why should I join this group? How do you answer that one? Again, it's, it's, it's going to be personal. It's going to be a, it, unfortunately, you're going to have those that are disgruntled that want to go that route. But if you really think that it's going to serve a purpose, you know, we're, we're all strong and we're all strong in numbers. Again, years ago, when I moved to the part of the country where I serve at and and the Western part of Florida, there was a need for that. There, there, there was, um, we have a big Hispanic population, but yet law enforcement does not reflect that community. Um, times have changed. Leader, leadership have changed. Um, you know, 20 years ago, there's no way you would have seen a, a Latino in a lieutenant rank as I am today. And there was a need for it. Um, now, now, I don't see much of a need for it. Um, now, again, these, these, these groups also work as a fraternal group. It's also good to see your fellow officer off duty and, and a different thing and, and, a, and a different light. 
a lot of these groups are also very helpful for the communities. Um, so it, it is a personal thing. Um, I think the professional groups are very important, especially if you specialize in a certain area because they do give you tremendous training, tremendous, tremendous networking where you could pick up the phone and, and, and talk to another investigator in another area and get input on a case that may, you may be working that you're dealing with something that you've never dealt with. The professional one, I think they're very important if you do become a member of that. The social ones, the one that we were talking about regarding ethnicity or race, that's something very, very personal, um, and it just depends on the needs of your of your agency. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, you have to stand up and want to, want to serve in that aspect. There's a lot of officers, and this could be for any type of group, and I'm just going to give my personal experience uh, when I was active, uh, there were many issues that, uh, for lack of a better term, was stereotyping uh, certain individuals in certain roles. And the union, uh, with all good intentions, will not handle anything that was really racially motivated, and it wasn't a violation of the contract. So I went to many meetings in my career where you walked into the chief's office to argue a point and the union guy was just sitting there staring, representing, you know, casually. But basically the intent was, this is, I have nothing to do with this, but we, we kind of stand with what they're arguing about. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, people that were, were being, uh, stereotyped. In other words, you might have gone into a speci specific uh, group, like let's say undercover work, and uh, you never saw any progress after that. You wanted to get out. You wanted to do something uh, else, and uh, you were kind of like stereotyped in, in that. We've come a long way since those days, but some agencies are slow in, in bringing up uh, you know, that that type of uh, concern. So there's a, a good and a bad to everything. And for those individuals... Well, but the, you know, you, you kind of you talked about it a little bit, but if you do decide to go into one of those social associations like a Latino organization or an African-American association and there's a Jewish association and so on and so on, you know, expect pushback, right. expect it's, it's, it's not going to be an easy thing. But again, how much is the need? Because guys like me and you um, who, who have been part of these organizations, again, 30, 40 years ago, um, I'm coming up on my 32nd year in law enforcement. Um, there was a need for it. And we not necessarily saw... Uh, you know, the good of that, but the guys coming up now are getting the benefits of what you and I and other people set forth and educating the law enforcement community. Um, for, for example, the people that are coming up in rank now um, understand um, the minority communities better because of the groups that we were part of back in the day, that we educated the community, we educated law enforcement again, 
we weren't there. There was never, you know, resistance from our part. We weren't there to, to, to force our culture on anybody. But we wanted them to know, hey, this is, this is what the culture's about and get educated. And I don't know if you remember, um, it, it was so bad in Florida that they actually years ago had a, a human diversity class that was mandated by, by FDLE. I don't think they do that anymore because I, I haven't attended one in years. But I remember that was a mandatory class that you had to do every four years was human diversity. And that, that'll tell you what a problem that we had in the state, um, and especially in certain pockets of the state, uh, about diversity in law enforcement. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 it is helpful, but it, does, it, it doesn't come back. You know, I, I want the listeners to understand that those kind of associations, um, you're putting a target on yourself and expect pushback. But um, I... I do believe there, there is a need sometimes, and again, as a personal decision, and there is a need, and it depends on what part of the country that you're in, or what part of the state that you may be in, that you may feel, okay, we, we need to educate people that, that you know, we're here, and this is our culture, and, um, and we could definitely help the agency uh, reach out to certain groups within the community. Yeah, excellent points, as always, given to the audience. These groups are an extension, I believe, of uh, personalizing their the specific agencies. And for those that are listening and don't understand, well, just think about this. We, uh, and when you serve in the uniform, you serve as a representative of all the people, not some of the people. Therefore, to get the best quality, you might have to bring these groups in on a service type of level with the agency uh, administrations. Doesn't mean you have to, but I think it would make the community a lot better. Yeah, yes, sir. I sure will. It's, uh, it's, it's, it goes hand in hand. And like, like we've always talked about, in law enforcement, we're, we're, bridge, we're bridge builders. We're constantly building those bridges between the community and law enforcement, especially today that we're getting so much resistance from the community. So it, it's good to embrace those, those certain organizations to help build those, um, those bridges. Yeah, I, I know when I retired, that was three years ago, I was a, one of the functions that I had was a liaison to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and training. And the, uh, um, the racial issue and the mandatory training was still there. Uh, they were terming, it wasn't an actual course anymore. It was a conversation. So uh, if, if an officer came in for a 40-hour course, they had to have some type of conversation about ethnicities. And uh, I asked uh, one of the administrative heads in, in Tallahassee, why do we continue doing this? I've, they've been doing this since I started. And uh, she answered by saying, you should see the caseloads we have of complaints. That's it. Okay. And, and, and when, when you talk about cultural diversity, it's such a broad statement. Um, I remember taking that class, and they were basically educating police officers on they were – trying to teach the, the police officer on the Hispanic culture, 
But they were basically talking about the Mexican culture. And I remember within that class, and I was a young man, and, you know, and I, I told the instructor, I go, when, when you talk about Hispanic or Latinos, it's such a broad area of people. And you're teaching these officers about the Mexican culture. But, you know, you're not talking to them about the Puerto Rican, the Colombian, the Dominican, because it's very broad. Yes. So it's come a long way, I believe. Again, I've I've seen it. I've I've seen it from you are you were not going to get anywhere to now you're seeing more and more minorities um, in ranks throughout throughout the state. Um, it's more of an equal playing field now. So it's come a long way. But again, those kind of groups, and, and I, I emphasize it a lot, it's, it's a personal choice um, and it, it, it's a, on an agency-to-agency basis. It just depends on where you're at and where that need is at. I think most police executives today are, are not the exe- police executives that were back in the day when you and I were coming up. True, very true. Well, as always, we uh, appreciate your time and your experience and, and wisdom. We will definitely put this on the books with uh, this episode, The Club, episode 109. Thanks for coming on, uh, Raider Cop Nation, my friend. Well, thank you. I, will, I always enjoy my time, and thank you to, uh, to your listeners. And um, God bless uh, all of our soldiers serving across the country and all of our police officers and firefighters, and may God keep you protected. And thank you for listening. Amen. Closing remarks on what we've heard. We discussed the club. We discussed it's a personal uh, position that the individual is going to have whether they want to take part in that type of social club and what benefit will they serve if they do join. I can tell you from personal experience, and I want to share a little bit of my journey in those clubs. And a, a lot of people know that I served um, for over 20 years in, in different capacities in these clubs. Uh, ranging from uh, uh, my first uh, assignment was uh, media liaison. And I did uh, obtain a quite a pretty big list of media people. And uh, we would uh, be uh, contacted to be expert witnesses or expert guests, if you want to say, for a specific television program. And then, uh, let's say if it was dealing with uh, homicide or something like that, then we would go ahead and plug one of our members that would deal with that. And uh, so that was successful. Then from there, I went on to Sergeant-at-Arms, I was also a board of director, and uh, I was also the vice president. And I, most of uh, my uh, term in those organizations was served in the capacity of president. I had mixed emotions uh, of different types of groups. 
uh, that I was a part of. And I'm not going to get into that. But I did learn one thing, that the group has to identify with the community that it serves. If, let's say, you have a group that is a national segment and it, it, it has memberships or chapters all over the country, sometimes those messages at the national level don't mean anything to that specific group of individuals in the local community. And you're only as strong, or your group is only as strong as your local group. So it's a delicate blend of both. It's a lot of diplomacy. And I can tell you from experience, the behind the scenes, behind the curtain, wheeling and dealing that is done on a daily basis is ultimately mind-boggling. I'll give you an example. And I know that there may be individuals in some of these departments that will turn blush red and say, hogwash, she's full of baloney. There's no such a thing as their cheeks are red and their ears are red and blushing because they know I'm telling the truth. So let's say John Doe is an officer in a specific agency and an incident occurs where several officers were disciplined for an incident. Uh, for the sake of argument, let's say this is a minor use of force incident. Somebody uh, might have done something a little improper, so certain actions from the agency come down, such as added training for some uh, individuals in the group or uh, discipline. It may be uh, just a blemish on your record, a record of counseling that stays there for several years saying on this specific incident you made some several you made several mistakes. Or it could be time off of what we can call time off on the beach. Here in Florida, we, we call it that. <laughs> We're smart, aren't we? So it's time on the beach, which basically means you're suspended. So there's a variety of discipline that will be handed down. So in this incident, you were just one of many other officers that were on the scene. But you were handed a strict discipline of, let's say, hypothetically, five days suspension. But there were other people that were there, and they got uh, a reprimand. So the reprimand goes in their file for several years that uh, they should have done A, B, and C. But somewhere along the investigational process and the disciplinary process, you got handed a sandwich with more mayonnaise than anybody else. Now, what occurs behind the scenes is once the discipline is issued, the file is discreetly placed in one of the high executive command personnel's office. It could be the chief or the assistant chief or maybe the third in command. 
but either one, two, or three will have this specific file. This individual, they're not really certain about uh, the union represented them, but they still got handed five days. Uh, the union now is kind of forced because, let's say, four or five of their union members got verbal or, or they got uh, honorary mentions in their file while this guy got five days. So you got to weigh one with the other. So the union says, well, we're not going to cause too much of a big deal about this because, uh, you know, this guy got five and they didn't really get that. So now, of course, you can't increase the discipline that's already been given. That I know. So for the union guys that are starting to hyperventilate while they listen to me, I'm putting it in perspective for the novice. So the union's already done their deed. You've basically gone through the disciplinary procedure. Now, before the sentence and the executioner comes out, there's a time period, and during this time period, the agency heads, they kind of wait around to see who comes to save this individual. It could be in the form of a high-ranking individual that's in the department, uh, better known as un padrino, and they show up, and they all of a sudden... Uh, say that they're looking out for your best interest, blah, blah, blah. Or it could be an actual organization that they step up uh, to the stage and um, they have a casual conversation with these executive uh, bosses. Remember, it's either going to be one, two, or three. And... I've been there. I've seen these individuals in action. I've seen how this works. Sometimes they've shown us other files that people have never came forward to their defense. The point I'm getting to is early on in my career, a captain once said that I never will forget because it was a part of my lesson in what I did for those 20 plus years in that organization that there's the point of most resistance and least resistance and the agencies always seek the point of least resistance so if somebody comes with a war drum about one specific person that would be most resistance and so the agency might be flexible to negotiate. Of course, the union is deaf, dumb, and stupid and will act like they don't know what's going on. But they won't get involved in too much because, remember, they've already done their good deed for the good of the order. So this is now a ethnic thing or a racial thing or an whatever you want to call it thing. Or you can even deem it a mafia thing. But I've seen a lot of deals break down with Cuban coladas in back rooms, locking doors, sipping coffee, and people's career were set or people's career were ruined. I can tell you this, folks, for those that have 
and are very opinionated by what I just said. And every action that I was a part of, if it was the latter in ruining a career, that scumbag deserved whatever they got to him. Because I was always fair-handed. But a lot of people got broke off a lot of things. They went up the rank. I didn't because I was too busy drinking coffee in the back of offices. It has been my honor and my pleasure to be your host on Raider Cop Nation. As always, continue to pray for yourself because without you in the game, we have nothing. Pray for your family. Pray for your community. Pray for the agency that serves you. But most importantly, continue to pray for the United States of America. This is Alpha Mike, and I'm out. And guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God bless America, my home, sweet.